Today's episode of the Pure Podcast is brought to you by SkyBuds. Buddies, if you're like me, you've got your headphones in constantly. Whether it's a podcast on the commute, a SoundCloud set while you're crushing spreadsheets, a phone call to a client, or even a Spotify playlist at the gym, you're always plugged in. But it's 2017 now, buds, and you can't be untangling wires or getting cords ripped out of your ears anymore. SkyBuds are truly wireless earbuds that will forever change the way you listen and move. With immersive sound and convenient charging and storage through the Sky Dock, you now have the freedom to move and listen to sound the way it was meant to be heard. The kernel-shaped buds are waterproof and perfectly designed to fit snugly and stay put, no matter how intense your workout or jam session. SkyBuds excel in the areas that matter most. Fit, signal strength, sound quality, and battery life. I picked up a pair for my girlfriend this Christmas, guys, and she's already in love with them. They don't move at all while you're working out, on the commute, on the plane, wherever you go, and they always deliver premium sound. They look sharp, sound great, and the connection quality is unmatched. So head to skybuds.com today and snag your pair in either charcoal, pearl, or nimbus. Skybuds for your sound. Let's go. It's special to me. It's special to the guys that I played with. It's special to the guys that played before me because we love Michigan. Swinging a fly ball. Left field and deep. It's way back. The Tigers are going to the World Series. Yes, sir. The Wolverines, the Bad Boys, the Red Wings, and the Honolulu Blue. The team, the team, the team. It's time for the PMP. It's time to go to work. Giants up for Detroit, a lovely city. Welcome to the Pure Podcast, first episode of 2017, after a little bit of a hiatus. We're back in action, New Year, same two dudes. I'm here with the legendary Mike Palazzolo. How you doing, buddy? Be back, house, and happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you as well. We're coming to you on January 4th, probably the day everyone's getting back to work, and we're hoping that some Michigan and Detroit sports talk can get you back in the flow of things. We're going to... Talk some Lions, talk some Michigan football, and do a little recap of the very best of 2016. I think probably our best show yet coming at you. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, we're covering a lot of ground here, and uh, I think everyone's going to like our 2016 recap. So stick with us. We're going to have a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. We always do. Let's start with, with fresh in everybody's minds here. We were both in the D last night, bringing the heat per usual. But once again, the story is the same. The Lions cannot convert the fans' off-field passion and dedication and translate that into on-field success. Another big game in Detroit, another disappointing finish. What are your thoughts after that uh, heartbreaker last night? I just don't get it anymore, and I'm I'm so sick of it. I just don't understand. They were doing something right in the first half 
for them to have a 14-10 lead. And I don't understand how they could just break down in the second half and abandon what was working for them, which was getting the ball downfield offensively and letting Marvin Jones and Golden Tate make plays. And then defensively, they just gave Aaron Rodgers too much time to throw. And when you give him five oh, seconds, yeah. he's go- he's going to make a play. Someone's going to get open. And yeah, like that's, that's the result. Like you were saying, there's a lot of places we can point the finger here. I mean, getting started, well, let's start on offense. It just seems, especially down the stretch, we you know we had a good start, had the 9-4 start, but then we started playing playoff caliber teams. And what is often the case, and my dad and I have talked about it ad nauseum, they come out hot. Matt Stafford's got the offense moving. They got the game plan. Um, and then somewhere between the middle of the first quarter and the start of the second quarter, and then the last drive of the field, the offense goes away. Now, is that is that Cooter? Is that Caldwell? Is that the offensive line? Is the skill positions? Where do, where do you think is is the source? So this is my right? theory. This is my theory. The first you you mentioned the stretch of tough teams. The first game in that stretch was the game in New Orleans. And if you remember, that was one of their most dominant games because what they were doing is they just took the ball out of Drew Brees' hands by running the ball. They were running the ball very well and milking the clock down. And then when they needed to make plays, when they needed the receivers to make plays, they made them. And I think they stuck to that the rest of the year because it worked. They tried to do it in New York and failed against that Giants D-line. They tried to do it against Dallas, and they get, and it worked in the first half, and then they went away from it in the second half, and it failed. And then, same thing yesterday is, is they tried to they were doing it in the first half, and they were running well. Zenner was really good in the first half yesterday, and then they went away from it in in the second half, and no one made plays. There were drops, and they never went downfield, and. I mean, I don't know how they didn't abuse that Packers secondary. But that that's they left what comes a lot of back. points on the table. If if it in the matchups over the years against the Packers, if Stafford's not going to take advantage of that decimated secondary, when when, it, when is he going to? No, I, it's I, it's so easy too. I mean, they even lost. I mean, thank God he's okay. Uh, Quentin Rollins was it who went down on his neck? They yeah. lost a safety. And their corners aren't good. Demarius Randall and uh, Ladarius Gunter, I think, is the other one. Their corners are not good. And you can't tell me that Marvin Jones and um, Golden Tate aren't going to be open at least half the time. And Stafford had time to throw in the second half. The the rookie side of the D-line, I mean, the whole left side, or uh, the offensive line, I'm sorry. The whole left side of the offensive line is rookies between Decker, Glasgow, and Joe Dahl. And they they held up great yesterday. And... He had the time to throw. Let a guy get open and go downfield. But but it, it circles back to me a couple things. One, number nine is hurt. He, he's he got the middle finger with, with that glove holding up his brace on his throwing hand. And as much as he was still on point and making big throws, you could tell his touch was just a little off. Maybe if, he does, if he's a healthy Matt Stafford, I think he hits Golden Tate. And we're looking at six on that play when he just missed him, which had to be – an absolute heartbreaker live crushed crushed Gosh, crushing the whole the whole state of michigan just ugh, at, at that one just knowing oh here we go again here they're missing those little plays missing a field goal early letting mm-hmm. them stay in the game and then here it is and just like the whole world thought we're losing to the packers again yep yep um, and like you mentioned about the crowd we did our part yesterday oh the I've air heard- didn't get let out of the building until that uh 
until that the circus touchdown throw he had to the guy, I don't even remember, Geronimo Allison or whatever his name is. That was the first time the crowd finally started to feel it, and you, you saw people start to leave. That's like towards the end of the fourth quarter. So we did our part, and they didn't feed off of us. And I've heard reports that it was as loud as people have ever heard it, and as it should be, because it's it's an easy team to hate. Everything's on the line. The city needed it. The city wanted it. Aaron Rodgers, again, the Packers have won it over and over again. It just it seemed like, it felt like New Year. We're going to get one to fall in our direction. but Yeah, it just felt different. And you were down there last night. You saw yeah. how the city was. I mean... It was intense down there last night, and in a good way. The D was bumping last night. It was great, and we were top uh, three. We were tailgating real close to the stadium, and next to the defend the den bus, the custom, full, nearly full size bus that's dedicated to the Lions. That the guy has a full size flat screen installed inside it, and the whole bus was packed. And also outside, people jumping up and looking through the windows at the end of that Giants Redskins game as that's mm-hmm. coming to a close, and then which just obviously set the tailgate into a different level. Like, we clinched the playoffs. Here we go. We're going to take the division. But once again, as seems to be the case over and over again, doesn't matter if it's Michigan, the Lions, big game comes, we get all hyped up, and we leave disappointed. It just it sucks. I don't know how we break the cycle. It seems like new GM bringing in that Patriot level sort of expertise that we're starting to get the right guys there, starting to mm-hmm. change the culture a bit. Agreed. Um, it seems like we're heading in the right direction, but obviously, you know, we're not there yet. We had three weeks in a row against good teams, just needed to snag one. All we had to do is snag one, and we're looking at a home playoff game in Detroit. Well, it says a lot about us as a fan base, too. I want to I wanna piggyback off of that. Um we're really upset right now. We're angry. Like I'm, I'm pretty pissed off. And that's actually a good thing when you think about it, because the bar has moved so much. They made the playoffs at the end of the day, they're still going to the playoffs, something that's only happened two other times in the last 15 years, which is pretty cool. And it's the second time they made the playoffs in a three year span, which hasn't happened since they did it in 97 and 99. It is. And that's pretty impressive. And impressive in the season after we lost the hall of famer, I thought when he when Kelvin said bye, I'm like, oh, this team seems destined for 4-12. and 12. Yeah, 100%. You got 100%. I but, did think they had a good offseason, and I did think they were going to be better than everybody expected. I, I thought 8-8. Eight and eight, I mean, they ended up at 9-7, and seven, but 9-7 and seven got you into the playoffs. So they did something right, and I think there's a lot of optimism going forward. Um, I'm, I'm very excited. I think Bob Quinn's going to be the, de- the guy to build the team properly. But uh, there's a little bump in the road that I think we're mutual on here, and that uh, that's going to lead us to the uh, the Joe D D of the year, the unanimous uh, selection for the Joe D. How selection. the fuck does this guy still have his job of the year? Unanimous selection is going to have to be Jim Caldwell. Um, he should have been fired, in my opinion, after the Bears game. There was no excuse to keep him. Mm-hmm. Correct. Credit for making the playoffs. Uh, they took advantage of the light schedule, which I could appreciate. But I don't think they did that because of him. I think they did that because of solid play calling, the bend but don't break defense that uh, Terrell Austin's ran, and good play from number nine. Uh, what are your thoughts? What do you what, what do you think of Caldwell? Do, was, what do you think of Caldwell if he wins next week? Should he have a job if he beats the Seahawks? No, and I think it's it's all part of the the grand plan. It's all part of Bobby Quinn's. Grand plan. I think he thought. I think we overachieved this year, 
And Definitely. we might have talked about it earlier that he didn't want to get his coach in there until we he had his team in there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it bought him a year. Not hiring a coach bought him a year. He, right. And he looks like a genius for keeping him. And then if, if the season doesn't go as well as it did, then you could fire him and, and it's not going to be Quinn's fault. But if you look at, okay, you got a coach who has now been to the playoffs two of the last three years, right? Um, and he has gone to a Super Bowl, right? You, you look at this resume, but it just always has seems he has won games when he had good players. Like, I'm not going to say in Peyton Manning's prime, it wasn't because of Jim Caldwell they got like nearly undefeated and went to the to the Super Bowl, okay? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's just it because of Peyton got, Manning. Right. And here he had a great group of players, a quarterback in his prime that's top three in the league. And he, he managed to win some games, but I always look, it's a great indicator of coaching in any matchup. How do the teams come out in the second half? It's those tangible, you've got the coordinators calling most plays during the game. There's only so much on the sidelines coaching the head coach does, obviously some more than others. But when you go into the locker room, you saw what they brought for the half. You saw how they responded to your game plan. How are we going to adjust? Where are their weaknesses? Where are our weaknesses? How do we fix what we're doing? How are we going to change things up? And how are we going to win this football game? And Mm -hmm. time and time again, the Detroit Lions lay a fucking egg in the third quarter, and it drives me crazy. How it's Mm -hmm. just so obvious that the other coach is out coaching our guy. Yeah, it's the story of the year, and that's football's a game of adjustments, and you have to make the in-game adjustments if you want to survive. And that's the reason why, like, yeah, all the fourth quarter comebacks have been cool. What were there seven, eight of them out of, yeah. out of the nine wins? They're very cool. Don't get me wrong. It was a record-setting why- year. It was a record-setting year, but the reason why you're in that position to begin with is because you're doing something wrong. Because a lot of the time they had leads in the fourth quarter that were squandered because of you know some bullshit play calling on offense and uh, not doing enough on defense. And that's all in-game adjustments, and that falls on your head coach more than anybody else. Right. You got to be able to adjust. Right, and uh, it's just it's just so frustrating. I mean, like we I was saying before, it was a record-setting year. He Matt Stafford is now the record holder, eight game-winning final drives, breaking Peyton Manning. Um, that's amazing. But like we were saying earlier, this those eight games could have so easily gone the other way. We're looking at that four and twelve team. I thought they were going to be mm-hmm, exactly. Really- they were on the right end of some uh, Sam. If Sam were with us right now, he was going to be our guest today. But if Sam were with us, he would agree one hundred percent. That was his thing all year. Is you're on the other end. You're on the right end of these eight games. What happens if you're on the wrong end for a majority right. of them? It just and um, I forget who said it first, but after the one and three start, then we went on that eight and one stretch, which is why we're in the playoffs. But look at the look at the quarterbacks and the teams we were going against in that streak. We started off against the rookie um, against Philly, whom I, I'm drawing a blank. Carson Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz. Then you go against Case Keenum in L.A. And he almost got outdueled by Case Keenum. Almost Case Keenum had a career day. Um, we probably one of the better wins of the year against Washington and Kirk Cousins. But then you were playing the Brockett ship, Sam Bradford. Playing back, back to the Brockett ship. That was the only loss in that stretch. And yeah. On top of that, Brockett ship got benched one a month later. Right. You know. And then just you're goes to show at, you. Same with at, Case Keenum. Case Keenum didn't make it too long after uh, they played the Lions. Right. 
And then you know, we got Bortles, Sam Bradford twice. Breeze, as we were saying, the New Orleans game was probably the best one of the year. And you got Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. All these guys with where we had a huge edge in quarterback, and we're, we're squeaking out these wins. We're getting the wins. But yeah. there's a stretch. The Lions were beating bad teams. It's that simple. And then we had a chance. Three playoff games down the stretch. Just got to win one. But when we go up against high-quality opponents, we get out-coached, we get out-played, and it's disappointing. Um, um, his record is, uh, I want to say, it's 0-5 this year, obviously, against teams with winning records. And then uh, all-time with the Lions, it's 1-1 one and one and something. I'd, I'd have to get the number on that. but One and many. Not good. One and many. And uh, even bouncing off of that a little bit, um, even the losses, the losses came, to, I mean, two out of three of them or two out of four in the, in the beginning of the year, you'd like to have back like the loss at Chicago, the game you were at, like, how do they blow that? One? The Titans and game stings the a Titans lot. game, the Titans game. And then Andre Johnson, who caught the game winning touchdown pass retired two weeks later. How do you let that happen? How do you let them storm back like that in your building coming off a week one victory? The optimism for me for the whole season went out the window. Of course, they salvaged it by going on that run afterwards. But imagine if you have one of those games back, the Titans game, the Texans game, yeah. um, the Bears game, one of those games back. That's the difference in winning. The yeah. And then, there. and you know, I was talking with my dad earlier. It, it looks bad because we just happen to have our schedule backloaded with good teams. If you spread out those three losses, no one's going to blame them for losing to the Giants, Cowboys, or Packers. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But- and preseason, on top of that, the Giants and Cowboys last year were, I mean, the Cowboys were one of the worst teams in the league last year, and the Giants weren't so good either. I think they, they finished worse than the Lions last year. So preseason on paper, the league isn't thinking, oh, we're going to have prim- uh, a 4 o'clock primetime game a Monday night football game, and then a a flexed-in Sunday night primetime game. They're not thinking that. They're thinking, well, you know, there's potential here, but these teams are all had losing records last year. And it's It's just just how it works out. It's just That's just the nature of the beast. You have to be able to win those games. You throw in my Bills fanship, and, like, whenever there's a big primetime nationally televised game, I usually am either talking or FaceTiming with my dad. And all those games end disappointing. We the Lions go on national television except for Thanksgiving, which was a great win this year. But mm-hmm. oh, it just it doesn't leave me very optimistic for the playoffs. But we're in the dance, and anything can happen. Let's talk about let's talk about this matchup coming coming up this week weekend Saturday night, the primetime slot at the Seahawks. Now. We're, I think the line is at eight, seven and a half right now. Yeah, they're, they're big dogs. They're, they're big, big dogs. dogs. It seems like, you know, no one expects them to win. We backed into it, nine and seven. It seems like all the pressure's on the team that barely missed out on a bye. They, you know, everyone, they're eight and one or what were they? Seven and one at home. Everyone thinks they're just going to run over this Lions team. And it seems like all the pressure's on them. And I'm not scared, really, of the Seahawks team. They're kind of a mess. They've got... Richard Sherman's returning punts. They've got the running game, the running back, whoever the hell he is, is it's not not a threat. I think it's Rawls right now. I'm not Rawls and Rawls that, v Zenner is not exactly the most elite. Well, it is an elite quarterback matchup. That running back matchup is uh, is laughable, and the defense lost a lot of pieces. It's not the most scary. It's not the Super Bowl champs we're going up against right now. Uh, that being said. 
you know, I still don't really like our chances, but what do you think? Like you said on the defense, um, they've been very shaky since they lost Earl Thomas to, right. uh, when they were playing the Panthers a couple right. weeks ago on Sunday Night Football. They've, I think they're 2-2 two and two since then, if I'm correct. I'm not positive on that. And um, one of those was a blowout loss to Green Bay in Green Bay in the snow, granted. But it was a blowout loss to the Packers was one of them. And they were on the ropes yesterday for most of their game. Uh, and that's including playing their starters as well. They, they so eked it out 25-23 against the 49ers? Yes, it's 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 iffy. And the Lions went in there last year during Monday Night Football. They performed really well. You can yeah. make a case they could have won the game because of the Calvin Johnson fumble and the illegal bat play. Um, it's a tough place to play, don't get me wrong, but if there's a time to catch the Seahawks in the playoffs, it's right now. This is the year. Uh, they look very vulnerable, and and honestly, I would rather play the Seahawks, albeit on the road. I'd rather play the Seahawks than play that Giants team. Yeah, that housed the Lions a couple weeks or ago, or the Packers, to be honest, or the or the Packers, or the Packers. Um, so I think I think the Lions can win. Um, I don't know if I would, I don't know if I would bet bet against Seattle, but the Lions are totally in this, especially if they can get a little healthier. You get Riley Reef back, you get Swanson back. And that's th- those are good pieces to go up against the Seattle defense right, right. there. Um, hopefully, Slay's a little healthier. Um, mm-hmm. Going to need him. But yeah, Doug Baldwin. They, Doug Baldwin's been very good. The biggest head scratcher is how they can't fucking figure out how to use Jimmy Graham. I when they got that, they made that deal. I thought it was such a home run, but as, a, as well, he hasn't been healthy either. That's that's been part of it. But right. yeah, this year it's been weird. But that's part of it. That's part of your success, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And it seemed like maybe they turned a the corner, but I don't know. You're squeaking out two-point wins in a game they, they had to have against the Niners. They just mm-hmm. lost to the Cardinals. Um, they got smoked by the Packers. They, yep. lo- they lost 14-5 to the Bucks. Yep. <laughs> um, what it comes down to is Russ is kind of similar to Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Uh, so for, defensively for the Lions, you don't want Russ to make too many absurd plays with his feet. Like he did last year when they played. That right. happened last year. Is he made an absurd player too? And you're thinking, wow, this guy's Houdini. And you you don't wanna. You got to get some pressure on that guy. You got to force him to make a bad throw. Let him beat you in the air. That's, well, the, that's how you got to do it. Absolutely. The, well, the game we're coming off of doesn't give me much hope because now agreed. In, in agreed. an equally, uh, an almost better way, Aaron Rodgers, the things he does in the pocket and how he's so goddamn elusive. We had him dead to rights so many times, and then. You could just see just the groans of the fucking Detroit faithful as he manages to get out. And you know when he's on the run, looking downfield, got his head downfield, he's going to sling it to somebody. And time and time again, third down, whatever, he just got out of it. And Russ is the same mold. So I guess you could say it's bad, but we just had some practice against it. We got yeah. film. I mean, what? If there's ever a time for Jim Caldwell to run some adjustments. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jim's got, Jim's got the perfect plan. Um, what? How do you stop something like that? Is it do you blitz? Do you have the contain? What What do you do on a mobile quarterback? Well, in the second half on Aaron Rodgers, it felt like they weren't rushing anybody. On on the third and longs, I saw Ziggy standing straight up, and maybe he's the spy on that play. Maybe he's just trying to make sure Rodgers doesn't make a break for the outside like he does. Right. But you, you got to get pressure. You got to get pressure up the middle in particular. Right. Lodi Nada, Ashawn Robinson, Tyron Walker, whoever it is, I want to see them in Russ's face can, as much can as possible. Can we have Ziggy be an All Pro, please? That'd be nice. 
yeah, it looked like he was coming on after the the Giants game and the Dallas game, but it, obviously he didn't in, against the Packers. So oh. Ziggy, wherever you are, I know you're banged up right he's now. He's a big, he's a big really pod use some murder. I know he's yeah. a your pod guy. Um, yeah. Well, Ziggy, d- do it for the D, man. We it would be it would be something else. I think the formula is like we were talking about. This team comes to life at the beginning of the game, and they some t- seem to find the magic at the end. If they can. Make that first spurt like the like the Cowboys game. We get two touchdowns, two maybe three. We got to get get up into that twenty one point area and get some stops. All of a sudden, all of a sudden they're gripping out there because holy shit, we have to beat this team. Everyone's. I mean, I don't think they're going to look ahead. They got a good coach, but I'm pretty sure most of those guys think they're going to walk over this Lions team. And definitely, definitely. They're they're licking their chops for this match. They are. They're I'm li- guessing the fans got to be thrilled with the matchup because the Lions pulled it off last night. They're going against Aaron Rodgers, and they've they've got to be a lot more scared of of that. Um. So, yeah, let's hope that we can get off to a good start because you know Pete is going to outcoach him at halftime. You know they're going to come out in the third quarter and have Matt figured out, and they're going to be finding holes in the defense. So you just got to hope we get off to a lead. That's what they do. I'm expecting a big game from Marvin Jones, assuming Golden Tate draws Richard Sherman, which I'm guessing he will, because Golden Tate's returning home. Well, not home, but you know what I'm saying. He's returning to play his old team. So I think that uh, it's it's going to be very interesting. Just get receivers open, which is asking a lot against those Seattle hey, corners. Maybe I don't know. Got to give. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Don't completely abandon the run in the second half. There's an idea. Yeah, maybe 100%. just a couple hands running well. Yeah. Center's been running well. You know, he could he could blow by Frank Clark and and uh who else they have back there? Cliff Averill and no. Michael Bennett. I hate to hate, hate on, you know, Rawls is a Michigan guy, but in the Zenner Rawls matchup, Zenner's clearly got the edge when it term in terms of the first in, last out, playbook memorizing. Oh yeah. That grit. The guy. He's oh the grit the grit rating on Madden's gotta be a ninety nine on this guy. Definitely. I mean, it's uh if <laughs> you saw um PFT tweeting about when Zenner was going, coin. Off, going off against the Cowboys, laughing my ass oh. off talking about grit recognize grit recognize grit. <laughs> when, I like the meme he posted when um when it's a picture of Barry Sanders, then they, they hit the upgrade key in the oh, keyboard yeah. and then and then the second picture is Zenner. But it was uh who's um who's this here? Is it Woodhead? Yeah, Woodhead. Yeah, right. Woodhead's this hero. Woodhead tweeted about it, like "Go ZZ," and he's like, "Grit, recognize grit." <laughs> yeah, that's good. Wow. And then the coin, the, the the coin, the grit coin, and Ripkowski got one from the oh, Packers yeah. yesterday. Oh yeah, it seemed early on that they kept it up. It was going to be a runaway Gruden grinder as well. He fits them. Oh yeah, but you know, Lions lost the game. What can you do? <laughs> Let's talk about the other wild card games coming up. We've, we'll start things off with what may be the worst playoff game, worst first playoff game in recent memory. We got Raiders at Texans. The Raiders once, not in the not-so-distant past, were the AFC favorites, perhaps, right there with the Patriots, a trendy pick, MVP-caliber quarterback, and in the snap of the fingers, you're looking at a McGloin slash Connor Cook versus Brockett Ship slash Savage matchup that is just not even watchable, really. We're three what, deep in quarterbacks for some of these teams now. What do you uh, What do you think about this one? 
Um, I still think that the Raiders have enough playmakers that, and their defense is incredible. They should be able to. They should be able to make enough plays to win the game, and as long as they have someone competent at quarterback. Obviously, you feel a little more comfortable if it's Matt McGloin, right? But um, even if Connor Cook could just make a couple plays, he's, he's got a couple good receivers there in, uh, in Crabtree and Cooper. So you'd hope that Connor yeah. Cook could get it done. I I would pick the Raiders. Um, I especially want to pick the Raiders because it looks like Osweiler is going to be going because uh, Tom Savage is still in the concussion protocol, and the way it works, from what I understand, is he can't come oh, so out Savage is before out. Saturday. Uh, that's the, From what I understand, if I interpreted a tweet right from Rappaport, um, Savage can't come out of the protocol until Sunday, which would mean he can't play Saturday. Wow, so, so it's I huge think that it's they Osweiler. got um, yeah. you know, Oh, so they're going to be stuck with the, with the quarterback with $37 million guaranteed. Ah, uh, that sucks. The, the seventy-two million dollar man is going to. What be a decision that was, Bill O'Brien benching him. That that was like like uh, Bob McNair, the owner of the team, said. It took a lot of balls. It did. It, t- it took balls, and it that. looked like you know the Savage looked good out there to start. Yeah, um, he looked okay. Yeah, but oh, so it's going to be Brackett, Shim, Connor Cook. Um, so who are you picking? Yeah, I'm. I'm going to stick with the Raiders on that based on the information we currently have. And especially if they have McGloin, I, I feel comfortable taking the Raiders there. Yeah, I've got the Raiders as well. Uh, let's hope, you know, Khalil Mack is going to be is going to be a... What an absolute animal, animal. Khalil Mack is, by the, the way. The guy from University of Buffalo. Oh, yeah. Is, He's a bull. Is absolutely uh, just everywhere out there. He's fun to watch and could be one of the only reasons tuning in because you got Amari Cooper and Crabtree are rendered basically useless with the quarterback they've got throwing. So we'll see. Um, I might not watch this game that intently. Uh, that's the Saturday afternoon game. Yeah, right? that's the Saturday afternoon game. I guess, you know, we'll stay chronological. We already discussed the whole matchup. Who you got in Lions Seahawks? Uh, I'm going to go with the Seahawks. Uh, I, th- I think they're very the home factor thing, it, it does mean a lot. That is a hard place to play. That being said, it's going to be a lot closer than we think. And uh, I, I do think the Lions have a chance. I just don't know if they're going to have enough. It's going to, it's going to come down to, it's going to come down to how many plays the Lions receivers are able to make on the, against the Seattle D. Right. I don't think it's going to be that many, probably 24, 16, somewhere in there. All of the, the evidence, I mean, we, it's impossible to remove the homer in us. You look if you look at this game objectively, all of the evidence points to Detroit losing this game. Agreed. We Agreed. went to into it in depth. Every good team they play, you're going against it, arguably the hardest place to play in the NFL, and mm-hmm. a guy that all he does is win playoff games in Ross Wilson versus a team who won. When was the the last time they won? A playoff game. I think it was ninety one or ninety three or something Stafford like was that. Diapers. So, yeah. Um, it just checks all the boxes. It it checks off every single box. It's outdoors, a tough place to play, a winning, a team with a winning record. I know yeah. what you're saying. I mean, I could see the Lions covering with an eight point spread, mm-hmm. but uh, we're just picking these games straight up right now. So I'm taking the Seahawks as well. Uh, let's move to Sunday. You got. Starting off with Dolphins at Steelers, what do you think? I love the way the Dolphins have played, and I think the Steelers are kind of a farce. Especially, it's going to be interesting against that Dolphins defense, but I 
I don't trust Matt Moore to outgun Ben Roethlisberger, even though Matt Moore has been very serviceable. And a lot of Dolphins fans like him better than Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, um, definitely. Especially what was just, that game? Uh, was it the he had four TD that, passes two weeks right, ago, didn't he? Right, yeah, was it? It was like Christmas Eve or something. I don't know. That was the Bills, mm-hmm. or was that the Bills game? Um, I don't know. Um, maybe it was the Bills game. But no, it, no, the, the Bills, the Bills game, they won, but he didn't light it up. That was J. It was the primetime game. It was the only game on. I remember. Yeah, um, and yeah. Uh, I don't know, but I don't think he's going to outduel Roethlisberger on the road. I, it's kind of hard to pick against the Steelers. It's tough. You Roethlisberger, all he does is win these games, just like we were talking about. And you want to talk about the three-headed monster with Brown and Le'Veon Bell. If they get clicking, I think their defense is not stellar. They're vulnerable, but I, I just should be enough to stop Matt Moore, though. Yeah, I I think so. Um, as much as I like a Je and and those guys, they've got some talent on, uh, on the Dolphins, and but you can't pick pick away from the Steelers in this game. I'm taking Pittsburgh. I'm with you. Um, on the night game, definitely, you know, it, I think unequivocally the best matchup of the of the weekend: Giants at Packers. What do you think? So I think these two teams played Week Three. I want to say or Week Four, right? Um, and in Green Bay as well if I remember correctly, and the Giants lost. It was it was a one-possession game, I thought. I'd have to look it up. But I think the Giants' defense is the best defense remaining out of all the playoff teams. Their D-line just eats. Their secondary is, yeah. is the best in the NFL this year. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I damn think it, they Eli have Apple. the recipe. Eli Apple, uh, Landon Collins, I think, led the league in interception. Don't quote me on that, actually. But Landon Collins had a very good year for them. Oh, you're quoted on it. <laughs> Hold me to it. Hold the feet to the fire there. Right. Um, I, I'm i going to go outside the box here, and I'm going to pick the Giants because I still don't think the Packers are that good. This is probably the worst Packers team in the Aaron Rodgers era. They're very depleted. And Eli could totally torch their defense. If he if he comes out firing like he did against the Lions, he's got the weapons to get it done. I don't think Odell Beckham's coverable by anybody on the Packer D. I just think that the Giants are going to come out swinging. And, and they've always historically been good in Green Bay. The year they won the Super Bowl, 2008, they went in and won the NFC Championship against Favre. Uh, and it was it was one of those frozen games, right? Too, and that was Eli. I think Eli could get it done. He's proven it. So I'm going to go with the Giants. It, it's a good pick. I I mean I like the matchup. I think it could go either way. Um, I am looking at what Eli Manning is going to show up. Uh, there are two very a tale of two Eli's. Eli's. They're very two very different Eli Mannings. Um, I think. This is based just going based on what Al Michaels was talking last night about. Uh, it's supposed to be very cold in the matchup next week. Um, I'm not saying Eli can't play outside, but I think when it comes down to it, and when you're picking just a game straight up like this, Aaron Rodgers is is a Hall of Famer, maybe one of the best to ever do it. And I think right now, as much as it pains me to say it, because I've grown to loathe him, especially after games last night. Just the absolute suck fest of Rodgers. They did a, you missed it at the game. They did a complete replay that was just 
they did the whole play just zoomed in on his feet. Oh, look at look at this, Al. This guy's got the best footwork in the game. They just were zoomed in on his feet, and it's I'm so, sure Collinsworth loved it too. Yeah, he was um, getting off to it. Just getting off to it, and it's it's it sucks to watch, but I think he's as locked in as he's ever been right now. Um, calling that streak, he's got nobody around him. Very Brady esque with his with his uh, surrounding cast of of misfits throwing balls to Geronimo Allison um, and threading the needle, but plays like that, that he was nine seconds in the pocket in the red zone and finding guys last night. I think he's locked in at home at Lambeau and they're going to take it. Is that the only one we disagree on, right? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm rooting, I'm rooting for the giants, but we'll see how that turns out. Hoping for the best there. You think a team that's playing this weekend can win it? Uh, I do. In the NFC, I think the Giants could win it. Yeah. Um, in the AFC, no. You'd like the Raiders a little bit more if they had uh, Derek Carr, but I think if they did in zone, I see it. I think the Steelers can win it. Um, well, so the Steelers are the three seed, so the Steelers then would have to go to and play uh, K- Kansas City, um, in the second week. So that's winnable. That would be fun, though. That would be a fun game. Yeah, fun game. We'll we'll see. And I think the winner of the, the Giants-Packers could also win it. So we'll see. Let's, yeah. Uh, let's transition to uh, our, our favorite subject. What really inspired the podcast, as pure as it gets, let's talk some Michigan football. Uh, disappointing end to a very, very, very promising season. Um, you can't say it's a... It's a the season is not. I think the best way to put it is it's not a failure, but an extreme disappointment. You can never say a ten win season is a failure, but you're looking at a team that started off nine and zero, with an absolute all time defense, seniors everywhere, experience everywhere, playmakers on both sides of the ball, and put in position to seize a national championship at the very least a Big Ten title, and they couldn't get the job done. And then just went. It was close at the end, but I thought they completely laid an egg in the Orange Bowl. Don't co- don't care as much about that. But I guess we'll get in the more into the Orange Bowl in a sec. But what are your thoughts on the uh, the end of the season? Yeah, it sucks to lose three of your last four by a combined total of five points, and to have lead yep. at the end of regulation and. In, in two of them, it's, that's very frustrating. Or they had late leads in every game, um, and it just makes you wonder what didn't they do right at the ends of those games or in the fourth quarters of those games to where they couldn't seal the deal. And I think it comes down to, I mean, if let's go back to 2014. If we knew that they were going to win 10 games for the next two years, we'd be very, you know, we wouldn't right. complain at all. But it's it's a sign that a Michigan football is back that yeah. we're so frustrated right now, and uh, b it's also a sign that's early on in the Harbaugh tenure. I mean, we he had the great 2013 recruiting class that he inherited from Brady Hoke, which I appreciate. Right. But uh, this isn't his pieces yet, and it'll they'll get there. They will build on this. Uh, he's the foundation's laid, and I think it's going to be a good couple of years. But it's it's very frustrating. And uh, especially that Orange Bowl would have been such a key victory for them and to send those seniors out on a high. But it is what it is. You you regroup, you rebuild, and you get ready to take on Florida and Dallas in September. Yeah, I, I don't dwell too much on, 
on the Orange Bowl, I thought it was a disappointing performance. Um, and as sad as it is to say, you know, in the playoff era, those games don't have as much meaning as they once did. But before we move on to the future and some recruits and start looking at the next season, I a couple points, two things that I think I'm going to remember for the end of the season. One, I have an absolute pit in my stomach because I feel like we may have wasted the second most talented athlete to ever wear the maize and blue in Jabril Peppers. Agreed. Fantastic. Agreed. He undoubtedly helped us get to where we are, deserved to be on the podium, but, or not on the podium necessarily, but in New York. But how we chose to use him on the offensive side of the football this year is nothing short of a travesty. Line him up in the slot. How about line him up in the slot for a quick slant, an out, a wheel route? How about throw him a bubble screen? How about throw him a sweep at running back, a jet sweep? How about any play that gets him the ball on the edge in space? How about a play action with a fake to a wide open Jake Butt? How about anything but the fucking read option out of the Wildcat? How about that? Yeah. Might as well just give him your playbook and say, here, this is what we're running for the next three plays. Oh, mind-blowing. And, and that leads into my the final point. Obviously, I thank God that we have Jim Harbaugh, and he's the reason why we're back. He's the reason why we're going to be good. You can't do better than him. But I think this final stretch took him out of God status and showed he's just a human and I question some of the things he did down the stretch. He, his play calling, he's he's the one calling those plays, right, that we were just talking about. How did he not, the genius that he is, find a way to use Jabril Peppers better? How I think he got outcoached by Urban Meyer down the stretch. I think he got outcoached by Jimbo Fisher. Um, he's obviously one of the best to ever do it, and I'm not sure I'd rather have anyone else. Don't forget oh. Kirk Ferentz either, because if there was one game, he definitely was outcoached, and it was the Iowa game. Yeah. Um, it sucks. I mean, he just – I always thought it was going to be come down to when it, we're never going to lose the coaching battle. But after some losses this year, uh, I don't know. Obviously, would never change it. But I don't think – I think it's too soon to erect the uh, Jim Harbaugh statue out front of uh, the big house. We'll see. Um, it, it just – and the last thing is he – he has never won a big game. He's won some big games. He's never won the big game. He, yeah. As much as he got to, he lost this in the Super Bowl. He's lost both games against Ohio State. Every time he has the chance to win and become a champion, he hasn't. Uh, did he win? A, he won a Rose Bowl. Did he win a Rose Bowl with Stanford? No, he won an Orange Bowl, but the year after they had a big Fiesta Bowl. I forgot who they played. It was Andrew Luck's last game, and they blew the Fiesta Bowl. Well, um. I forgot who it was, but that that was his best Stanford team. I think they were eleven and one going into that game, and they couldn't get the job done. But I'm sick and fucking tired of talking about it on the podcast, talking about it with everybody, and getting all jacked up for the big game and leaving that day fucking disappointed. It happens over and over again. I, uh, yeah, he's he's definitely the guy, but I, I need to see something different next year. I don't know what exactly that is, but those are the final thoughts I have of the season. Let's uh. Let's move on to a very promising future and why Harbaugh is the man and why he's the guy that's going to hopefully lead us to glory someday. We, The cupboard is not bare as much as we're leave, losing a lot of talent next year. For great things from 
the insiders in terms of guys making a difference in the those uh, Christmas bowl game practices where some of the younger guys get some looks. Uh, I think the guy who stood out the most I'm hearing is Kareem Walker, which is fantastic to hear. I'm hoping you know he has a good offseason when he's not under the thumb of the coaches and really hits that next gear. Because if we get a two-headed monster featuring Kareem Walker and Evans, that's a backfield to be reckoned with, and, and we're off. Um, I'd just like to point out that we broke this news on our first podcast, that as soon as Kareem turned we around with his grades, that, uh, that as, uh, we, we as knew first he'd be ready to go. on the PMP, breaking news, like usual. Um, but it might not be Kareem, but what guys do you think, asking you the question, what guy that didn't start this year is going to have the biggest impact next year? There's a couple for me. I'll pick one on each side of the ball. It's it's hard to pick one. I might have to pick one or two on each side of the ball. Um, defensively, you saw Josh Metellus start at linebacker in the Viper spot where Peppers is. Um, he, he started in the Orange Bowl, obviously. True freshman, uh, Broward County kid from not far from where he yeah. played in the Orange Bowl. And um, he showed up... His best tape came in the Rutgers game. He got a lot of play in the second half of the Rutgers game. He was really mm-hmm. good, and it built up to him getting more playing time as the season went on. And uh, I think Mitellus has a chance to make a major impact uh, going forward at the linebacker position. I don't know if he'll play that Viper spot or wherever. He'll. Pro- I think he'll get where Gedeon was. He'll get Ben Gedeon's spot. But I think defensively, I would go with Josh Mitellus. I'm very excited to see him going forward. And then offensively... Um, Big Mike Onwenu from Cass Tech is going to probably start at right guard next year. Yes. And uh, I'm very excited for that because everything we saw from him, I, what game was it where he was on both sides of the ball? Was it the Hawaii game to open the year? I think was it playing, was, yeah. He was playing He was playing guard, and then he was playing D-tackle uh, D as well. And uh, he's very versatile. He's a fun kid, funny kid. And I think he has a chance to make a major impact in the next two years, maybe, maybe three years if they're lucky. But... He's uh he's probably the best interior lineman that they've pulled in in a long time, and I'm excited to see him. Absolutely. Um, I, I hope both those guys make the impact. I'm thinking that obviously we're taking a big hit in the secondary, losing uh, Stribling and Lewis. Guys, uh, who knows if we'll ever have a, a tandem like that again. But mm-hmm. time and time again, we heard all year about Lavert Hill making plays, and I think he's got to step up, young guy. I don't see – any way we can go into next season without him starting. I think he's going to start, and I hope he grows into the playmaker that everyone thinks he can be. It'd be mm-hmm. If we can get – and that's what I think is going to start happening in Harbaugh year three, year four, year five with just like Ohio State where you haven't heard of this guy, but you know he's super talented and he's going to come in, and if he makes a leap, all of a sudden you're looking at All-American status. You know That can happen with any number of guys. Um I personally think that they're already at that point. Maybe not as right. talented with right. as, like the the cupboard isn't as full, but I, there's guys that I know that three deep, you know, going into the freshmen that I know are going to make plays and I know are very talented and good guys and I trust them. I think Michigan is already at that point yeah. because Harbaugh has built a very good repertoire over the last two years. And if we're recruits. not if we're not, I think it's and you know, I always was thinking 2018-2019 is when we were going to reach that point. But, you know, I'm hoping it's this year. On the offense side of the ball, I'll do one too. I'll go with the guy that I'm hoping steps up, and I'm going with Brandon Peters. I think we're going to talk about this, whether or not you think he can 
beat out Spate for the job. I hope he does. I think he's a gunslinger. I think he's got things that Spate absolutely can't do. There's so many throws that he can't make, and I just think this guy, I've heard rumors of him stepping up in these recent practices, becoming more vocal. He was initially a kind of a more quiet guy, which is not what you want to see from a quarterback, but he's got all the tools. He's got all the physical skills. And I think, you know, like we've always said every day with Harbaugh, these quarterbacks get better. I think after an off season, I could see him seizing this job. I hope to God he does. What, mm-hmm. what do you think? Uh, let me ask you a question real quick. Do you think Spate could get unseated by Brandon Peters next year? Yeah, I mean, that's what I – do I think uh, – I, I hope so, and I think he will. I think we know – I'm not sure how much better Wilton Spate can be than he was this year. Um, Granny was hurt, and he was, you know, 9-0, and did a great job, beat, but he was just beating all the teams that we were supposed to beat. I think Peters has the skills to beat to go on the road and win games at Penn state and stuff like that. And he can be that, that quarterback that, that Harbaugh has always traditionally had. I'm not saying he's Andrew Luck. I'm hoping um, McCaffrey is, but who knows? I think he could be. What do you think? I'm with you there. Um, in regards to spate, I'm, I respect what he's done, but I'm not his biggest fan. No. Uh, I like watching him make plays with his feet, but he, I, don't, I don't think he'll ever evolve into more of that prototypical game no. manager, that Rudak style quarterback where he's, you're just going to hope he makes the right play and then hope he has the big throw in him and get it done. And he showed down the stretch that he didn't have that. I thought the Orange Bowl was one of his worst games of the year. Uh, I thought he, even though he was injured, he wasn't strong against Ohio State. He wasn't strong against Iowa. And I think he might be the, the sole difference in those three losses. Yeah. Um, and there was a quote that came out of the, the, the bowl practices about from Spate himself, how he talked about how Brandon Peters pushes him to be better every single day. Brandon Peters was the main quarterback out of O'Corn, Malzone, Shane Morris, whoever. Brandon Peters is the one that's pushing him the most. And I watched a lot of Brandon Peters tape last year. I watched him in his, uh, in his, um, all-star game. I th- I want to say he was in the, he was in the Under Armour All-American game last yeah. year, which is a year ago now. And uh, I loved what I saw. And I think he's got a lot of potential. He was one of the top rated pro style passers coming out of for the class of 2016 last year. And, uh, I, yeah, if not, was he an elite yeah, 11 guy? Uh, he was an elite eleven guy, right. and he's not—he's not as much of a make plays with feet guy like McCaffrey. McCaffrey's more of the athlete who bails himself out with his feet, but like the kind of quarterback that you trust to bail themselves out with their feet, not like, hey, I'm just going to try and get five yards here, right. like a guy that you know can make a play. And if not Peters, McCaffrey, but I—I I would hope that there's more, there's more of a push from the quarterback. Can we get? A guy in there that can go win us a game, and not yeah, a guy exactly. in there that just were have. The, Spate was always the guy that's not going to lose it. Um, mm-hmm. Put put this. Did put you the have team any? Did back. you have any any faith in him to lead a lead a drive with twenty seconds to go? No, you don't. No, um, no. He's as good as his coaches in those situations. Oh, if Spate. Peters makes a leap and seizes the job, it's a whole different ball game. If we have a gunslinger back there and a loaded backfield and a defense that's always going to be good. The D line mm-hmm. going nowhere. Now we're looking at now we're looking at a uh, a team that can win a Big Ten championship. 
So yeah, first- and that's another test to the depth, by the way, is the fact that if you do have guys that are pushing, which is what Harbaugh loves, is you want guys that are pushing the guys in front of them. And that's how you get be- good teams. Is you don't you don't just play the best player. You want right. to make sure that everyone's learning around you and that the best right. player is constantly getting pushed so he can keep getting better. And the MLive guys were saying, uh, Spade is quoted as saying, I want, I hope Peters pushes me next year because that's what – the competition is what made him better with, with O'Corn this last year, and he hopes that there's two guys fighting for a job. I mean, that could just be – I'm sure he doesn't really inside hope that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it could be just a thing to say, but I, I do believe it. And it's going to be hard. If if Spate finished the year, if we if we made the playoffs or won the Big Ten, I, no one is saying that Peters has a chance. But I think we all know what we get with Spate. And if it, it might be a little riskier to start, but I think you give if you give Peters the start early, um, I don't know. I mean, Florida's a, a big test to start. I would kind of wish we had the the cupcake start like this year, but we'll see. I'm I'm hoping he wins it. So one one more thing before we get into uh, you know the schedule and how we think we're going to do next year. What do you think is going to happen with Najee? Oh, uh, it's all signs are. All signs are pointing to the maze in blue. And, oh, fuck yeah. And I'm just going by the, the beat writers that I read. In particular, I I like Sam Webb from yep, Scout. Sam Webb. He also is the host of the WTKA morning show with, the um, with uh, what's his name? Um, Marcus Ray. Right. Um, I All signs are pointing to the maze in blue. I follow the kid on all social media, and uh, he likes every one of Coach Wheatley, uh, Wheatley Sr., Tyrone Wheatley's pictures on Instagram. Every time he goes on his Instagram live or a Snapchat or whatever, he seems to be wearing Michigan gear. Um, it it just feels like it. And I read an interesting article from the SEC side of things, from the Bama perspective, and they were interviewing uh, Bama's top quarterback that's coming in, and then Alex Leatherwood, a former Michigan target, an offensive lineman, getting their thoughts on it. And they go, oh, well, he never talks about Michigan. He never talks about this, and he never talks about that. But at the same time, like Harbaugh's just been gung ho about this recruitment. As you remember, that's where he went to high school to announce the prom queen there, right? The homecoming. Yes, that queen. was such a move. And uh, they, they, when he had his official visit, Najee Harris and Donovan Peoples Jones were the last two kids on campus. He drove Najee to the airport, and there's a picture of him. Uh, Jay Harbaugh, Wheatley, and then Najee and his mother. His mother's been silent throughout the whole recruiting process, but she tweeted that picture out, which has to be a good sign for Michigan. So, I mean, the, the signs are there. You still never know. He's an, a 17-year-old kid that can make a decision at the flip of a hat, but I, I really feel like Michigan's got a good chance to land him. I'm going to go ahead and say that little segment you just went on was the best breakdown in pure Michigan podcast history and as good as it gets in the recruitment game, you were just breaking down Instagram like tendencies and tweets by the recruits mother. You can't get more in depth. Uh, I, I don't think you're getting that and from any source. That's about as good as it gets. Ladies yeah, and but keep in mind, this is a 17 year old kid. So this is a 17 year old kid. And, and, and you know what Pixie likes on Facebook. That's the kind of insider info you can only get on the pure podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're we're here we're here to stay folks and we're for real um just like the wolverines um okay so what do you think looking at the schedule next year um let's go 
we've got the big one at Florida to start at Penn State at Wisconsin. We got home against Michigan State, which I'm not worried about. Home against Ohio State. So I think the big four season-defining games are Florida at Penn State at Wisconsin at OSU. Particularly the last two weeks of the season, going to Camp Randall for the first time in about six years, I think, and then the Buckeyes at home. Yeah, uh, it's back. They're back-to-back games, right? So yeah. So one, what do you think? Um, in terms of win total, the over/under of ten, can we get ten wins again? And two, what you know, what is considered a failure in the in Harbaugh year three? Uh, what is considered a failure? I think that there's going to be pressure. It may, uh, as unfair as it might be, there's going to be pressure on him to win the division next year. Um, in regards to start starting from the bottom and working my way up, in regards to Ohio State, I think next year's you're getting a, C, a senior JT Barrett back, but the, next year's going to be their least talented team. They're losing a lot of people again. They're losing just like this secondary. Year. Yeah, just like this year, but they they weren't as good this year. I mean, you saw that. You saw what Clemson did to them. Penn State was probably the class of the Big Ten this year. And right. I think Penn State should have been playing for did they playing in the finish that out Ohio tonight. State. I was I was driving. Did they win that Rose Bowl? No, they didn't. It was a great game, great ending. Oh, really? Too. We'll save we'll save that for the side. You'll you'll have to watch that. Okay. But um, I I think they're they're losing most of their secondary. That Malik Cooker announced today they're going to lose Gary and Conley. Um, I I don't know if they're going to be as good defensively as they've been. Uh, like I said, you get a senior JT Barrett back, but their playmakers aren't that good offensively. If they, I mean, Mike Weber from Cast Tech was supposed to be their starting running back. He really didn't do much the entire year. It was basically a Curtis Samuel who got the job done, and I, and I appreciate Curtis Samuel. I think he's going to be awesome. Right, and he's so much fun to watch. But um, I, I starting with Ohio State, I think that's a winnable game at home. I don't think Michigan's going to take a big step back like everyone thinks because of all the seniors they lost. They're, they're going to they're gonna reload. Michigan's got guys that are going to come in and, and fill the shoes. Maybe not as well. Like you mentioned, lo- losing Lewis and Stribling isn't going to be good. But I think Michigan's still going to be talented enough to, to stay in the game and stay in the running with Ohio State. Wisconsin might be tough. Um, Florida, I just it's it's weird because it's the first game of the year. But when you factor in the fact that he has nine months to prep for this game now, I think they could win Florida. Um, yeah, who else is there in the non-conference? Is there anyone threatening in the non-conference? Um, well, we got Cincinnati at home. I don't think so. they don't return to Colorado, right? I know they owe Colorado no. a return trip. Okay, that's probably next year then. Um, oh no, it's not next year because they do t- at Notre Dame next year, but. I, I think Michigan can totally win 10 games, but 10 games could be a disappointment. To answer your question, I think 10 games might be disappointing if a division championship doesn't come with that. Uh, at Penn State, too. Right. And I think moving forward, and as it should be, and as it should be at Michigan, with the money that goes into this program and the talent that we have coming in, if every season that's not a Big Ten championship is a disappointment. Um, failure is a big word, but I, it is. It's 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 year three now. He's got his guys. It's time to start winning championships. Not even a Big Ten championship. You, you got to win the division. Like get us to Indy. Well, we, the division the is the championship. It hasn't gotten to Indy yet. The division is the championship for the most part. I, I don't see. I mean, I guess they're getting back there, but the West is weak. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on Wisconsin. Like, how good is Wisconsin going to be next year? Right. Um. You know. So I'm with you that they can win ten. I think. 
I think the Florida game, if we can win that, which I believe we will, and I don't know if we can win both at Penn State and at Wisconsin. There's a loss there. Mm-hmm. And if we can find a way to beat Ohio State, you're looking at that one loss, and I think that's going to win it. That, that'll yeah. win the East. One loss will probably win you the East next year. Like you said, it's 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 even if we we'll drop that out. Florida game, if we only have one Big Ten loss, I think it'll it'll do it. We'll learn a lot about them after the Florida. We'll game. see how good Penn State. Penn State's returning everybody, so mm-hmm. um, we'll see. Okay, let's talk about let's the talk best about of the year that was. just in the rear view we're going to break down the best tv shows and best overall moments in and out of the world of sports we start things off with now we're both football guys that's a given but we're also both tv guys and we put together a list of our top five favorite tv shows in the year that was um you get it started okay my number five is a good old house of cards season four yeah uh, I thought this has been the second best season to season one, and it's setting up for some big stuff because uh, we got the the reelection campaign going on. And one thing House of Cards does well, and then another show, Homeland on Showtime, does this very well right. too, is they they do a very good job of simulating what's actually going on in the real world. It's just good writing, and um, the accuracy they made them in in House of Cards season four. They did a good job of showing the election process and how much of a mess it it could be. And it was very similar to our election process in 2016. So I really enjoyed that. Right. Um, It just missed mine. That show is, is all time. The fact that it's still going strong and it's in its third season's Testament. I think, I don't know. I think each season has been a little worse than the season before. Um, I don't know about you. It, It just seemed like, the first season just came out of nowhere as something mm-hmm. that was just fantastic. And it was almost as much as it was crazy and they're killing people and everything like believable that he could weasel into the vice presidency. Then you got going big scale and he's got the president presidency and all that not taken away from it, but it's still a phenomenal show. Uh, definitely. Definitely. And I think there's potential. Going is there, are they do, well. coming out with a new season soon? Uh, I haven't heard, they are obviously, but I haven't heard any word on when or plot or obviously anything like that. Obviously they're going to finish the election thing, but. Right. Right. Um, okay. Do you want to do your number five? No, no you, you break your list down five? and then we'll, we'll go to mine. Got it. Okay. My number four and my number three are both, nah, they're outside the box. They're wild card shows, but I really enjoyed them. Number four was a show that recently came out on Netflix a couple months ago called The Crown. Uh, and it's basically a dramatization of the Queen's ascension to Queen Elizabeth's ascension to the throne. So it's like it's way back? It's highly accurate. Yeah, it's, it starts in 1948. It starts right before her wedding. I'm not going to give too much else away. Well, I mean, it's history. I, I could. Hey, if it's but being it recommended in, in the top five on this podcast, you need to put it at the top of your queue, folks. That's- it's a good show. If you like history, if you like historical dramas, it's very accurate and the drama is very real. And on top of that, I know it's accurate because Prince Philip, the Queen's husband, is a producer on the show to verify a lot of the stuff oh, wow. that happened. And there's a lot of stuff that goes behind the scenes and even like the the politics of the crown and of, of the sovereign 
being the queen is very hard, and it's enough to destroy their family. So it's it's a very interesting show. It's very accurate, like I've said, for the third time now. And uh, there's good drama in it. I would recommend it to anybody. And it's 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 up for a Golden Globe for best drama as well. well so I keep seeing it. I keep hearing about it. I haven't checked it out yet, but I will soon. It's worth a shot for all the history buffs. Um, my number three is similar to that, but in the opposite direction. And it's another wild card show. Um, it's the Man in the High Castle, season two of Man in the High Castle. And uh, for those of for those that don't know about Man in the High Castle, uh, it's basically I don't want to call it a fantasy show, um, but it's fiction, and it's it's an alternate ending to World War II. The catalyst being uh, 1932, Herbert Hoover uh, wins re-election over. FDR, because FDR is assassinated in the process, and it comes down to America never goes to war until it's too late, and the Germans invade America, they end up bombing Washington, and and the United States is divided into the Pacific States of America on the West Coast, controlled by the Japanese, and then the Greater Reich is what uh, east of the Rocky Mountains. Yeah, and uh, it's what it's what America would be like if the Germans had won the war. And it takes place in the '60s. It's really, really good, and they cover a lot of detail. It goes. It's very in detail. And it's it's a very interesting show, and I would recommend it to anybody. That's why I have it on the list, as I want to get the word out on the show. Unfortunately, it's on I haven't Amazon even heard Prime. Of, I haven't even heard of this one. What's it called for our listeners? The Man in the High Castle. Um, it's on Amazon Instant Video, unfortunately. So not a lot of people have access to Amazon. But if you do, or you can get a hold of someone's password, uh, talk to a buddy. If you're not a prime guy, you need, to be one. A, you need to be a prime guy, okay? Definitely. A There's a lot guy. on there. Um, but uh, I would recommend The Man in the High Castle. Uh, number two for me, which I know shows up on your list as well, is Stranger Things. Uh, oh, yeah. I'll let you take it over for Stranger Things. Right. But uh, obviously it just it seized us all by the balls. And I'm not into the whole scary genre, the, the, the horror genre, whatever you want to call it. But um, this is a show from day one that I, I almost couldn't watch by myself. I did because I was so addicted. But uh, it's I, I love the show from the music to the characters to the storylines and I can't wait for season two. I'll go. Um, I'll get it. I'll get into it. It's uh, it's my number one. So we'll, uh, we'll number get there. N- number one for me. Uh, no brainer for those that know me. Uh, if you follow me on Snapchat, you know I review restaurants in Metro Detroit. Basically, I switch faces with the Night's King from Game of Thrones. Number one for me is Thrones. Uh, I thought this was the best season yet. It was a long time in the making, and everything is finally starting to tie together. And I literally am counting down the days until June when season seven comes out and shit's going to hit the fan. Not much time left for us Thrones fans, but we're going to enjoy it. You've given me shit multiple times for not being a Thrones guy. I'm not a Thrones guy, but even I there's know that this season rose to a different level and that even if I've heard some people say the last season wasn't as good, but all of it, it was worth it because it all made the climax of this season all the better. And even I, I mean, tuned in for a little bit of the Battle of the Bastards having no context because yeah. of literally everyone doing that. What was it on at the same time as? It was like, um, it was like Game well, 7. Well, the night of was like After Thrones, I'm pretty no, sure. No, wasn't it on like Game that. 7 of like, and people were saying like, are you going to watch Game 7 of the NBA Finals? Or oh, yeah, something something big was on it. It might have been, I don't know about Game 7 of the Finals, but it might have been like Thunder Warriors Game oh, 7. Oh, yeah, right. Um, don't um, quote me on that, though. Right. Uh, okay, so let's get to, to my top five. Starting let's hear off it. with a couple 
I'm combining here, cheating a little bit, but I'm just going to say in general, OJ is number five, both People vs. OJ and OJ Made in America, I think one of the best documentaries ever, and the show is equally as awesome. I, I, I really loved it. It was one of the few shows, you know, that I look forward to and watch live. I can't remember the last time I did that. All-Star cast, too. All-Star cast, cast they incredible. nailed it, and looking back and how similar... They looked, I think everyone, I, I don't really, I think the worst cast might have been Cuba Gooding. Um, and that's saying something because he, he kind of did a phenomenal, like And that is saying something. But mm -hmm. basically, because OJ was a massive presence and he was like in terms of just a physical presence that I don't think he, he was. Um, but everything else talked about him. Johnny Cochran, amazing. Um mm -hmm. I, I loved both all the prosecutors. Marsha Clark was great. Marsha was, Marcia was killed. What's her name? Sarah Paulson. She killed yeah, it. She's, killed she'll it. win a Golden Globe for that. Award. And it just, that was, um, you know, I have, I think some of my first memories, memories in life were just like the OJ trial being on every day. Obviously too young. You know, I'm like four, what, what year did it happen? 94, right? So I'm like. 94, eight, yeah. I'm like eight, five, six. So not remembering any context and obviously heard it went a little bit into that. What was it? July 14th to the, the one 30 for 30. June, June 14th, 1990 or 1994, that 30 right. for 30. That yeah. But about? this just dove into it. And I just, so many of the twists and turns and I had no idea there's really been nothing quite like it in American history in terms. I of just want to, yeah, I want to piggyback off of that real quick. Sorry to interrupt you house. Cause you're on a no. roll there. But uh, for my generation, I'm born in 1992, so I'm two years old at the time that it happens. Our generation made the the People versus O.J. Simpson and then the, the O.J. Made in America 30 for 30 documentary. We made it big because our generation, the millennials, or like, right. you know, the later, the later. I've seen it for the first time. Yeah, no one knew about the O.J. I, I knew about it because my dad was an attorney and he had an appreciation for all this stuff. But no one knew that how how this was and the effect that it had in America because it had everything. It had Hollywood. It had sports. It had racism. Uh, it had sexism. It had murder. It had everything tied up into one actual reality storyline. It was it was the original reality. They TV couldn't section. have wrote. They couldn't have wrote a story that crazy. Yeah, you, you could you couldn't script the OJ the whole saga. And our generation wasn't exposed enough to that, so it came in at a perfect time. And both both of them, they go hand in hand. The thirty for thirties, and then the uh, the FX series were right. both fantastic and well done. And I'm, I, of course, they deserve to be I on think the list. One One thing that crept up on me and everybody um, is the details of Mark Furman. I think hit the millennials hard. I think everyone mm -hmm. knew he was a racist, but when they're going into the details of the tapes and stuff like that, that mm -hmm. was shocking to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and people think the glove crazy. was the turning point for no. of the trial. The if there's no Mark Furman, quit, that, there's that no was, case. It was over. Like how lucky yep. they got that he happened to be the guy that investigated that case. Yeah. They um, nailed them. Oh, and what a bastard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Number four for me. Uh, is Westworld. Now, we've talked about it on the show, I think, a couple times. Uh, mm -hmm. This is mainly, I'm putting it here, almost based more on potential and just what the story and the interesting topic. Um, I haven't been drawn in at a show like this in a while. Um, it's one of the first shows, OJ being the other one, that in recent memory, that 
it brought Sunday HBO back for me. Like I couldn't wait for it. Um, after I got a appointment hold, viewing, appointment viewing. Yes, appointment viewing. That is getting less and less relevant. But it was a great way to bring the weekend to a close. It's a phenomenal topic. It really gets you to think and <coughs> why it's so unique. Um, I think it was on another podcast that broke it down that unlike any other show, it really seemed like this one, they said that watching the show was only part of the experience. Um, going on Reddit and research and, and and reading all the theories and what could possibly happen. I've never Does it have its own subreddit up. yet? Is there is Oh yeah, there, oh uh, yeah. Oh yeah. What's it it's, called? It's, I mean Westworld. I don't know. I would search Westworld Reddit. If you haven't dive right. down that rabbit hole, it's ridiculous. Oh, I'm scared. I'm scared. Um I will though. I Yeah, to. but I would I've never done that for a show and I started digesting it after each episode and it really added to the experience and the little nuances people would pick up on. The one that sticks out to me the most is had to do with Felix, you know, the guy that was basically Mav's little bitch in the operating room um, on her side. Him and the red-haired guy are having a conversation um, early on. The guy goes something along the lines with, like, you're, you're a butcher. That's all you'll ever be. You're never going to be, like, one of the programmers. You're never going to be high up. That's all you'll ever be. And which kind of it is what it is, but the guy breaks it down on Reddit, a great theory of basically saying that this could be a society where everyone, we don't know when in time or where it takes place. So it could be like where people are born with predestined jobs and professions. Mm -hmm. Um, I forget exactly the word he used, but like he was predestined and designed to be that low level technician. Because if you think about it, like why couldn't a guy in his position rise up to be something else? Like it's not ridiculous. And Mm -hmm. it's, like a society that's designed like that, that I never would have thought of. It's those crazy theories that you'll see. And that's why this show stood stood out to me as a unique experience. And I think that a pretty well-executed season based on that idea, but really the possibilities that for next season are tremendous. And I think it could be one of the best ever. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm the eagerly anticipated Westworld season two is probably oh, yeah. going to be a big event. For I heard HBO. it could be a while. Mm-hmm. I'm not shocked because I mean, think about it. They have to recast a bunch of people or not recast, but they got to bring yeah. in a lot of new people. It's going to be a, I mean, people say just power me down and bring me back online when the next season, <laughs> when the next yeah, season comes out. No pun intended. <laughs> okay. Analysis. The night of, I have it number three. Uh, it really came out of nowhere for me. I thought it stood out for a couple reasons. One, I think the acting was tremendous. The main character, I forget his name, has now been in several other roles. He had a big role in the OA, the new hit uh, show on Netflix. He was great. Um, his evolution from, uh, I think it was actually the first episode was shot in like 2012 or something crazy. And they didn't finish it for a few years. And his... As he eased, I don't, you haven't seen the show, right? Or have you? No, no, I have not. Um, this is probably the only show I haven't seen. This right. Year. Well, I highly recommend, um, you got to check it out and I won't try to spoil too much, but I was originally disappointed in the ending. But then as I reflected it, I thought it was a very smart, unconventional choice. Um, Night Of was fantastic. It was one of those shows, again, that I, I watched with appointment viewing. 
Um, worthy of a top three, one of my favorite rides of this of this um, of 2016. Narrowly edged out by number two, Mr. Robot. Um, another great fucking season that with a twist I haven't seen. You're a Mr. Robot guy. I am. Um, a mid-season twist, unlike anything I've really. As good as Twist Gap, really. Yeah. Um, Second time in a row they did this. Yeah. It's it's one of those shows, um, and I listened to a podcast with the creator, Sam Ismail, about just breaking down the barriers of what TV is supposed to be. Um, it really has created... It is my favorite medium nowadays. I mean, you can tell these in-depth stories, but you don't have to go by the traditional... Like each episode is a chapter thing. You can go on tangents. It can be anywhere. You can trust the narrator. You don't trust the narrator. And on top of all that, tying in very modern themes, technolo- technological themes and things that could potentially happen in the future, it really came out of nowhere and could be my favorite show. Out. And that's that's a reason why that show thrives is from people who – I have two buddies that work in cybersecurity and – I'm I'm asking him like is this possible like could they do this is this possible like is this feasible and they're like yeah like this is all legitimate stuff like they oh do the a guy lot has research. done extensive yeah. research to make he does ex- a ton of research just to, before like that you even say a line you know before they even type in a line although the one so, thing they hated on is that they need to bring in a professional I forget what the guys are called like basketball consultant <laughs> because the guys playing the pickup game was the only bad part of the series it was just awful <laughs> that mm-hmm. he was watching. Um, but a great ride, a uh, great finish. I still, I think I like season one better. I don't know. Um, just kind of came out of nowhere for me. But the number one, your number two, that took the title for me this year, Stranger Things, for a few reasons. Um, I don't think I've ever been as captivated and as binged anything right up there with the first season um, of maybe House of Cards. <coughs> but in the binging era... It just came out of such a breath of fresh air how it could be simultaneously a throwback, retro, 80s sci-fi, and yet the with such great modern capabilities and technology and really why it's my number one. I'm Housemith. I'm a music guy. I've never been so drawn in by a soundtrack in my life. Hans Zimmer is the only time I've ever in movies or any sort of cinema been conscious of of the score like that i mean i guess i was i knew daft punk scored uh what's it called tron that was Um, incredible yeah that was incredible i'm going in but i knew that going in right so i was like expecting that and like you know the Hans zimmer movies when when they hit you but Mm -hmm. it just like they turned such regular scenes into spectacular scenes with just the score to the point where i i my favorite thing to listen to at work is the Spotify playlist of those soundtracks. It's perfect. Yep. The Kids, the song The Kids. I oh, love that. It's great. When we first meet all them. Oh. It's uh, uh by the way, like my favorite show of all time, in my opinion, the number one TV show of all time is The Sopranos, and it also has yeah. the best theme song of all time, like right. hands down for me. Right. Uh the Strange Stranger Things is a very close second. Like I've listened to that. Like even the the long version, you know, there's two versions of the Stranger Things theme. Right. There's like the four minute version. Like I've listened to them hundreds of times. Oh, I, I love, love it. it. I love it. And they name they name 
all their songs after the scene, so you can like flash back to like some of my favorite. Exactly, you know exactly when it happened. On the on the volume two is spiked bat and making contact, like you know what's going. Something in the wall, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what those scenes are about. I I just fucking love it. Um, took the title for me. Okay, agreed. It's a great show, Stranger Things, and like I said, I I can't wait. Like I have no idea. I don't know what's what the hell is going to happen to Barb. Like I, I refuse to believe Barb is dead personally, but um, without divulging too much, I've, I'm right. super excited for season big Barb fan. Thing. She she took off in pop culture as well. Um, mm-hmm. Got got uh, my girlfriend a Barb's live Barb Lives Matter a little tank for that's great stocking. It's that's fantastic. great. Um, but yeah, that that show was next level. I. I think it's one of those shows. I'm not sure how good a second season will be. They say it's going to happen. Um, we'll see. Let's transition to just overall the best moment. These are the kind of moments as we were talking before. I'm not a big Twitter guy. You are more than I am. But those moments were that are so big to me. It's an easy qualifier that like holy shit, I got to see what the world thinks of this kind of stop everything moments. Uh, as we kind of put together this list, there's a lot that went down. Let's start. We put together a couple of our game changing moments that weren't in the world of sports. What was yours? Uh, game changing moment uh, that wasn't in the world of sports and sent ripple effects across the globe would have to be the death of Harambe. Oh God. Um, I think that changed the game forever. Um, just, I, I don't want to get too much into this. I can't really talk uh, about it. I get pretty emotional. Yeah. I get emotional too, and and you know it causes problems. I I don't want to cause a schism with the listeners. I mean, should the little kid have been shot? Should Arami have been shot? Like right. we never know. Like we'll never. Here's know my here's my theory, um, and I need to make sure it gets out there because I I don't think Karambe is going to fade. But what I want every year, end of the year, um, I want that kid's report card posted publicly. Because that we need to keep track on him because he should have the fire lit within him to make something of himself. I know I would. I don't know if he knows that, if he's too young to know that he's the kid. Um, I'm sure, I hope, if the other kids at school know that, they certainly hate him. But I want to check in every year and know that that kid is applying himself and working to cure cancer. Because when you think about it, major he's sacrifice. the only person, he's the only one in the world that could avenge Harambe, essentially. He really is. If he does, as much as the internet, really, this is, Harambe's uh, shows, like a few other things, the power of the internet um, to make a guy, uh, a gorilla live on that never would have in the pre-internet era, the national world psyche. But it's, uh, if anyone's ever had a fire lit within him, it's this kid. Real talk, though, if he does something meaningful with his life, everyone will agree and say god damn it that was worth it <laughs> right mm-hmm. I, want, exactly. I want him to fucking have the fire lit <laughs> um make something of yourself young guy he's um, the only one the, the world's on him the, the eyes of the world are on him and so right right don't there drop the ball my favorite little video or viral clip it is it is sports but it wasn't really necessarily in competition the guy stepping up the, at the Ryder cup the heckler and draining that putt was one of the coolest things I've actually ever seen. I get choked up thinking about how awesome that is. And just like the Ryder cup was lit this year. I don't know what they were just looser or trying to get the crowd involved. It was fucking awesome. No. So one of my buddies, uh, my buddy, Nick, who was a listener of the podcast, 
he uh, he actually volunteered. He drove all the way from Gross Point to uh, to Minneapolis, and he volunteered there in the store this week, so he or that week, so he could go to the Ryder Cup for free. And the American crowd is what made the Ryder Cup because everyone right. was just so fed up with losing. And they were just intense, like from day one, the heckling. And that's how that started. That was the, the first bit of heckling is McElroy's getting heckling in the pra- getting heckled in the practice session. And uh, he's like, oh, go ahead, try and sink this putt. And of course the guy does it. Of course he gets the $100 bill signed by everybody. And the American fans are what made that week. They had oh, to calm man. down. That's that's why that Ryder Cup was like really A moment special. like not unlike any other. And if he hits that an inch right, it's going about 50 feet past the hole. Of course. Steps up and drains it. What a legend that guy is. Yeah. We'll end things today with the top moments in the Pure Michigan 2016. Basically comes down to moments for three different squads. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, we didn't have a lot of good ones over here. but uh, A little. I think 2017 is going to have more high points. but Definitely. I'm hoping. You know, We got uh, this year. Got we Lions got Lions playoff game. So. Moments from the Pistons, the Lions, and the Wolverines. So what, what do you think? Number three, I think, is the Pistons making the playoffs for the first time since what two thousand eight or two thousand nine. I think it's two thousand nine. But as shitty as I thought the that was performance a big deal. Was it was big? Um, it was a step in the right direction. And it honestly, they they put more pressure on the Cavs than any other team in the East. Even though they got swept, right. the Pistons were in every single game. And uh, I mean, until they played the Warriors, it was the basically Cavs the best tested. sweep. You could possibly get like in two yeah, weeks. and it's a step in the right direction <laughs> for the future. But obviously, they haven't built on that since oh. then. But we're hoping the Pistons turn around at the beginning. We got to take year. a step back and realize that, like, ultimately, getting swept, getting swept, <laughs> getting take a step back and realize that getting swept was a top three moment in the state this year. That's a little sad. 2016 was rough. <laughs> it went fuck 2016, man. Okay, but it gets better. I think we got number two, I think, was was the Lions. Basically, a few collection of moments. One, big win on Thanksgiving Day. Always the biggest tailgate, always the biggest game, national stage. This playoff run, the eight game-winning drives from Matt Stafford. But I think most importantly, in the wake of, again, losing a Hall of Fame player in his prime, when everyone had written this team off, they... Uh, they might have might not have been pretty down the stretch, but they got in the dance. Yeah, they they did what they had to do. They took care of business, and same thing. You, you hope they build on it going forward. Yeah, I it's we're not going to be favored on Saturday night, but there are a few things, you know, more captivating on the TV than watching your NFL team play a playoff game. Exactly. And as a Lions slash Bills fan, that hasn't done it for the Bills since I was in fourth grade. <laughs> Uh, Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, except for every other team in the league. Okay, (laughs) let's go. I think number one moment, again, a kind of a collection of moments. Maybe a a feeling, if you will. Michigan's back. Um, And as disappointing as the end of the year was, moments like, what, starting off the year, smoking Florida, then nabbing the number one recruit on live TV, um, and then we get into the year, Mike, and what do you got? Yeah, this is an easy one. This is obviously the pinnacle of Michigan's year, even though at the time it, it didn't seem like it. But uh, looking back on it now, it's it's taking the state back. We're the state champions again. Paul's back home where he belongs. Paul's back home in Ann Arbor. I hate to get uh, ahead of myself, but it looks like he's uh, he's there to stay for a while. I hope he is. History tells us that that's the case, but 
remains to be seen. And and uh, yeah, that's probably my number one Michigan sports moment of the year is is when Michigan beat Michigan State in East Lansing and Jabril Peppers took back that two point conversion. Oh, that was the best. And it was I, good. Just the overall, definitely being back. Well, we didn't get in the last show, the only one that mattered. Just every single. Tuesday night in the playoff show. It's Michigan right there, number two, number three, just in the hunt, having the best team, going to nine and zero. It was a it was a fun ride, shitty finish, but you can't take away from how great those moments were and how how happy as a fan base we were to be back in the discussion. Yep, and we're gonna stay in the discussion this year. Hopefully, uh, keeping this pod on the consistent track. Nowhere to go but up, buddy. We'll do a lot more wings. We'll do a lot more pistons, especially wings. You guys know I have a especially lot to wings say and about pistons. The wings. We got we got some uh, guests coming on, some insiders. We're definitely in the next episode going to break down the state of the wings, state of the pistons. Uh, probably talk some upcoming signing day. A lot to get after. A lot to do. Keeping uh, the whispers down Woodward, buddy. Thanks for should uh, be a fun month, House. Thanks, thanks for, for having me. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next time on the Pure Pod. Take care. One more thing, buds. Anyone who knows me knows how big of a fan of Eric Prids I am, and Mr. Prids capped off 2016 with an all-time move. A few months ago, a 24-year-old diehard fan named James Lillo reached out to the internet trying to get in contact with Eric because he wanted to meet him before he died. Internet rallied around him, Eric got wind of it and was on board, but James passed away tragically before it could take place. Then in just a world-class gesture, Prids through a show in James's honor to raise money for the Lillo family, and then he also made a track dedicated to him. He's going to donate all proceeds from the track to the cancer research facility James picked out. I think it's an awesome cause. It's an unbelievably powerful track. I'm going to play it now, but find this on Beatport and buy it. I'll put a link in the bio, but here you go. This is Pride of Lillo. Enjoy, and happy new year, buds.